Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 18. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise and bless your name that you are a God of salvation, that you are a God who judges the wicked and who saves a humble people who have nothing to offer you but their sins. Have mercy upon us, teach us your ways, fill us with your spirit, and give us wisdom in the scriptures of truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We come today to the conclusion of our consideration of the book of Zephaniah. In chapter 1, we saw an incomplete reformation judged. Chapter 2, we saw a solemn call to repentance. Chapter 3, we saw in verses 1 through 4, she received not correction or the importance of being teachable to God's word and the true religion and worship of God. Verses 5 through 7, we saw, Surely thou wilt fear me, or the place that Scripture occupies as God's light of judgment to call us to repentance. Verses 8 through 10, we saw a pure language, or how God would bring about a transformation in the beliefs and in the speech of His people, that impacting their glorifying God and worship. Verses 11 through 14, we saw a poor and afflicted people, How God calls us not to trust in the means of grace, but in the God who gave us those means. We saw how afflictions cause us to focus our attention on God himself rather than on our own sufferings. And then last week, verses 15 through 17, we saw the Lord saying that he would joy over his people with singing. How God would remove the judgment that our sins so richly deserve by sending his own son to be present with us, God with us, Emmanuel, even our Lord Jesus Christ. We also saw Christ as our king there, working salvation by restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies, and our duty of diligence growing out of God's grace toward us and our believing in his promises. Now then, let's consider verses 18 through 20. Verse 18 again. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. First, the Lord says, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, or literally those grieving for those appointed times, places, and meetings, I will gather. Now, this is as a gardener goes forth and gathers his precious fruit or as a captain of an army gathers together his soldiers, something important, something valuable. God gathers together those who are mournful or sorrowful or grieving for the solemn assembly. Now we saw last week that God was rejoicing. 
Now we see God rejoicing in one verse and the people mourning in the next. The people mourn for the means of grace, for the solemn assembly, for the lack of God's worship. Please open to Psalm 42, which we sang earlier. We'll read verses 1 through 6, Psalm 42, page 611 of your pew Bibles. To the chief musician, Mashil, for the sons of Korah. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Notice here, the psalmist desires the presence of God. He wants to come and appear before him, but he cannot. Verse 3, my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill, my czar. These are foreign parts. He's cut off from the temple. He could not go and appear before God. And he thinks back to the times when he used to go with joy and rejoicing to the house of God down to the ordinances at Jerusalem. Think about the people in Zephaniah's day. What's going to happen to them? They're going to be removed, he says, out of their land. God is going to cut off man and beast, chapter 1 told us, because they were not fully reformed. They had repented a little bit. They swore by the Lord and they swore also by Malcolm. They still had their images. They still had their idols. They still had their high places. Even though Josiah had done so much for them, they did not join him in that work. And so they were going to go into captivity. And while they're in captivity, will they have the solemn feasts of God to go to? No. This is why Zephaniah gives them encouragement and says that God will still come and bless you, though you will mourn from being cut off to the solemn worship of God. Please turn over to Psalm 84, page 634. Psalm 84. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in, the in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Notice here, the longing and desire to be in the courts of God. It's like it's his house. It's his place he wants to dwell. He wants to go and meet with God there. And what do we have in Psalm 42? I can't be there, and therefore I'm mourning and longing for that place. Please turn over to Lamentations, 
chapter 1, page 828 of your pew Bibles. Of course, Jeremiah prophesied at the same time as we've seen as Zephaniah. And there are many parallels between the writings of Jeremiah and the writings of Zephaniah. Here's another parallel. Let's read verses 3 and 4, and then verse 7. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction, and because of great servitude she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Notice verse 7. Jerusalem remembereth in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy, and none did help her. The adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Notice here, what is Jeremiah lamenting here? He's saying that the whole city, which is a figure of speech for the people who dwelt in the city as a general rule, the city is mourning as they think back in their captivity, as they hear the taunt of those who say, where's your God? As they say, oh, those Sabbaths you observed, your solemn feast, ha ha, so much for your Sabbaths now. So much for your holy house. So much for the worship of God. They taunted. They mocked. And the people mourn as they remember, as they think back on the solemn feasts of God, which no longer they can observe. They remember the appointed ordinance and mourn for its loss. I note then that the Sabbath and public ordinances of worship are amiable and longed for by the godly. Those that dwell in God's house, he says, are blessed. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall be still praising thee, he says. There is a blessing for those who enjoy these things. In fact, God says he is the countenance and health of his people in those very ordinances. That it's drawing near to God, not near to the means themselves. But God uses those means in order to draw us closer to himself that we may know him that we may sing his praise, and that we may walk in his ways. Let us, while we have these things, rejoice in them. Rejoice in God's holy day, in the solemn public worship of God. Let us long for it, and be blessed in the enjoyment of the time and manner of God's worship. And if these things are not your delight... Confess that to God. Ask him to forgive you. Lord, I acknowledge I do not delight in the means of grace... Renew your faith and reliance on his word. The principal part of his ordinance is the word of God itself. And pray to the Lord. O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. This should be our prayer. Please turn back to Zephaniah chapter 3, page 944. God has choice fruit, those who mourn when they do not have the solemn assembly. And then he says, who are of thee? Those 
who are truly of the Israelites indeed, in whom there is no guile, as our Lord said of Nathan. There are those who are in Judah and not of Judah, who say they are Jews and who lie, Jesus says. But these are true believers. These true Israelites are going to mourn when they think back to the solemn assemblies, to the days of Sabbath and new moon when God had appointed the Jews to come before him and worship. They would mourn these appointed means of God's worship while absent, and that's what proves that they are of thee, that they are true sons and daughters of Abraham. Then he says, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. And we saw this in Lamentations 1.7. The mocking, the reproaching of the adversaries when they took them away. You can even sing this in Psalm 137. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, they say, in taunt to the people of God who are in captivity while they're in Babylon. This is the taunt it's talking about. This is the reproach. And this reproach would be a burden to the people of God in captivity. And so Zephaniah is speaking to them. God speaking to them. Be encouraged. You're my choice fruit. You are my soldiers that I gather together. Though you mourn now, you will rejoice in the morning. I will turn again your captivity. You remember Psalm 42. He said that when they reproached him in Mizar Hill, it was like a sword in his bones. It hurt. It hurt to hear these words. It hurt to hear the mockery of the worship of God. Let us not be of the number of those who mock God's Sabbath or his worship. Christ Jesus, our Lord, died for our sins and rose again on the first day of the week, showing us that God gives us rest first and our works second. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then we are saved unto good works, which God before prepared that we should walk in. The first day, not work first and get your rest second at the end. No, God gives us the rest in Christ. Let us not be of those who despise that rest, who despise that day, who mock at his worship. Let us rather be those who bear the reproach of God's solemnities rather than profane them. Verse 19, Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee. Look, he says, Lo, pay careful attention. Behold, look at this. This is something you need to pay attention to. There is a time coming when all the oppressors, all the afflictors, all the mockers, all who humiliate the people of God for their love of God and his worship, God says, I'll make them pay. That's what that means, literally, undo them. There'll come a time of reckoning. There'll come a time of judgment. They'll have to answer for their evil deeds. They will be undone. We saw this in verse 15. He hath cast out thine enemy. God will overcome the adversary. They will not win. They will lose. Think about the Babylonians. They mock the people of God. They take all the goods and articles out of the temple. And what do they do to them? They put them in the house of their God. And then they bring them out and get drunk with them on the night of their destruction. Isn't that ironic? In the very time he's getting drunk, he sees a hand writing on the wall. Your time's up. The day of reckoning has come. You will be undone this very night, God said. You're done. You're over with. Then the Persians come, don't they? 
And what happens to Babylon? Toast, done, overthrown, fallen. That great city that mocked God is overthrown. Let us not despair when the wicked seem to triumph. There is a day of reckoning. They will be dealt with. There is a day of judgment and there are days of judgment. There is the final judgment and every day during this life where God judges the wicked is like a presage. God is saying there is justice. They will fall. They will be undone. Those who mock at God will not live out half their days. God will cut them off. We must not despair. And that's why Zephaniah tells them that. You'll go into captivity and your enemies will hate you and mock at your Sabbaths and your solemnities and you will mourn and bear that reproach. But note, behold, pay attention. They're going to be undone. I'll deal with them. Then he goes on. And I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out. Now halting is like limping. You ever seen an animal that can't walk properly and it kind of limps along or you might have hurt your ankle sometime or got a nail in your foot and you couldn't walk properly and it hurt? You're halting. You're helpless. And if you read the Bible long, you'll notice that the wicked are pictured often as beasts, as ravenous beasts who come along and devour the flock like wolves. What's this halting sheep going to do to save itself? What kind of defense could it offer against such adversaries, wolves or bears or lions? What can it do? Nothing. God says, I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out. Now you might have a ram, the male of the sheep that is strong and can fight. But what about her that halteth? What can she do? She's helpless. She can't do a thing for herself. She's already been driven around, driven out, pushed around, has no protection, no defense. I will save her, God says. I'm the one. The almighty power of God will come to her aid. Please open to Ezekiel chapter 34, a very parallel passage. Page 873 of your pew Bibles. We'll start our reading at verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock 
And I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which is lo- was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Notice the mercy of God. God is our good shepherd. Our Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for the sheep. Do you remember the parable? 99 sheep doing just fine and one goes astray. What does the shepherd do? He goes and seeks to recover. I will do these things, he says. How many times did we read that? I will bring, he says. I will seek. I will bind them up. They're halting along, helpless, out in the midst of a storm, no one to care for them, driven in every which way. God promises he will save a helpless people. These people who have nothing to do, no defense, nothing they can do to save themselves, and yet God saves them. God's saving work then is accomplished among the halting and the scattered, those helpless Those broken, those lost, those driven away. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who brings them back into his fold, who heals them by his power. This is the gospel. It is not a help help yourself program, is it? Where does it say you will in this passage? Nowhere. I will, God says. I will. God will do the saving God's saving work is accomplished among the halting and the scattered. Jesus said it is not the well who need a physician, it is the sick. They're the ones who acknowledge their need and therefore they will receive the healing. Let us then lay aside our sense of our abilities, our pride, our power to deliver ourselves. Paul, remember, gloried in his infirmities. For when he was weak, he said, then am I strong for the power of Christ rests upon him. Let us lay aside our sense that we have some great power. No, we are weak, we are halting, we are scattered. Christ will do the saving. And notice, more than just save them, let's turn back to page 944, Zephaniah 3. He goes on and says this, after he says, I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out, And, he says, I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. Remember how they mocked the Sabbath? Remember how they belittled the worship of God that these Jews were mourning over and wanted to go back to the solemn ways of God? Those people will be changed, won't they? They will be transformed by the power of God. God will set up these very people who are mocked and despised and belittled, and he will get them fame, he says, or a name. He will get them praise and honor, and people will speak well of them. In every land where they've been put to shame, those despisers, those wicked people who despise these halting sheep, God will cause them to praise and to give a name to his people who honored his ways. Notice verse 20, God repeats the same thought. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, 
For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. God says he would bring them again. Remember, they were scattered, right? God's bringing them back to his fold. They were away from the solemn assembly. Now he's bringing them back. He will gather them. Now, this is virtually, as I said, a repetition of verse 19. But what's the difference? Do you notice it? In verse 19, he says, them. What does he say in verse 20? You. You. Not them anymore. I'm not speaking theoretically of something I'm going to do. I'm talking to you people. You people who believe in my promises. You people who love my worship and who mourn for its absence. You are the halting and scattered. You are the scorned and put to shame in every land. You mourn and grieve over the loss of the worship of God. Now I will give you a name and praise. I will lift you up on high. He says, among whom? Babylon? Is that what he says in verse 20? Those places where you've gone into captivity? No, he doesn't. He says, among all people of the earth, every land where people dwell, every place where humans are, who used to mock and belittle and despise the worship and Sabbaths of God, what will they do? They will praise this people, this remnant who is preserved by God's grace, who loved his worship, who longed for his presence. God would convert the nations of the earth, he's saying. Now, man in his natural state mocks and ridicules God's Sabbath and God's worship. He's disinclined to the things of God. The carnal mind is hostility against God. It cannot be subject to the law of God. It doesn't want what God says. It can't do what God says. This is the natural man. How's this going to change? People give birth to natural men, do they not? Yes, they do. But this is the greatness of the promise of God. He says, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. How? Because I will send the root of Jesse, and he will reign over all the nations. Put another way, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes. What is captivity? Bondage? Servitude? Death? Destruction? There you are in Egypt, that's your captivity. Now you're in Babylon, that's your captivity. God's going to take your captivity. He's going to save you from it. And therefore, he's going to send out the light of the gospel to all the mockers, all the wicked nations, all those alienated from God. I will reconcile them to myself. The bondage of sin and death will be broken. The bondage of man's traditions. The bondage of the Antichrist power will be overthrown. The church will be enlarged. The fullness of the Gentiles brought into Christ's kingdom. And those hard-hearted reprobate Jews, they will be engrafted back into the tree, God says, too. Just to finish the work he said he'd start with Abraham, he says he'll do it now. God will turn the captivity and all the mocking nations will give praise and glory to God and will honor his people and his Sabbath and his worship. This is throughout what we call the minor prophets. The scriptures teach a worldwide conversion. The Lord will have his knowledge spread to all nations. 
Those enemies that once mocked divine things will embrace them. Remember Isaiah 19, the Assyrians and the Egyptians, the arch enemies of Israel, they will come and worship the true God. They will be called his firstborn. They'll be adopted into his family. How is that possible? Because God has promised it. Let us then pray, thy kingdom come. You remember our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. What are we praying? We're praying that the kingdom of God would come onto the earth, that these mockers would be converted to lovers of God. Let us expect that this small, helpless, halting, and scattered flock will become the praise and name of all nations. Is it now? No. Will it one day be? Yes. And how do we know that? Because God promised it. Not because we see it in the natural order of things. What is the natural order of things right now? Down, down, down. It gets worse and darker every year. Ten years ago, could you imagine that they'd be doing what they're doing now publicly and openly? I couldn't. I couldn't have seen it. I didn't see this coming. I might have thought I did, but I couldn't imagine how far it's gotten. It's getting worse and worse and worse. But what does God say? Is it going to continue on that way indefinitely? And then Jesus will come back and fix it all? No. He says, the gospel that I've entrusted to you and taught you to pray, go ye therefore and do what? Make disciples of all nations. That's right. All the nations of the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Pray that the worship of God's church would be purified, his people sanctified, and the king of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ, glorified. Then God, to seal the deal, says, saith the Lord, I promise, I say this, I uttered this. This will come to pass, in other words, because God has said it. God secures his promise by his almighty word. He will ensure the success of the gospel, both in the sheep who are scattered and are halting, and in the whole world who will then call them a praise and a glory. God will fulfill what he has said. And the Bible is, thus saith the Lord. Throughout the whole Bible, you read this phrase again and again. When the prophets come to speak, when you read what is written, what do they say? Thus saith the prophet Isaiah. Thus saith the great king of Israel. Is that what they say? Thus saith the Lord. And when the apostles quote from the Old Testament, they'll say, it is written, God said, and the scriptures say. And those mean the same exact thing. That Bible you hold in your hand is like God audibly speaking to you from heaven. You want to hear a voice from God? Read the Bible out loud. That's his voice. He's speaking to you. He's saying things to you. Saith the Lord. God will ensure his promises are fulfilled. God will take the Sabbath mockers and make them Sabbath keepers. God will take the profane who despise his worship and make them a holy people unto himself. Amen. Let's pray.